Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. Before I get started, <coughs> I have something in my throat there. This happens often. <laughs> All right, let me get focused here. Before I get started, I got this great conversation from a listener on Instagram. Hey Brad, thank you for your question. He asked me, how do I pick the guests who I'm going to have on the show? Because it's such a diverse group of people. Every conversation has been different. So how do I go about doing that? And it's purely selfish reasons. I picked the people, I started off with a huge list of people that I thought I would be able to get on the podcast, people that I thought I could have a good conversation with, something that I could learn from, or maybe somebody listening could learn from their story. Because you know, I think everyone has a story. I think everyone's extraordinary. And that's the purpose of this podcast, right? Is to talk to strange, stranger, strange, strange people, talk to different people and just learn from their experience. So I have this list of people that I think I could have on the show. And then I kind of put them into months and when they could record. And that's pretty much it. And so far, we've been very lucky. Thank you to everyone who's been a guest on this podcast. I couldn't ask for a more open and honest type of conversation with people. Transitioning into this conversation with my guest today, Tyson Jackson. Let me tell you, Tyson does not hold back. <laughs> he is a new stand-up comedian who was raised in Louisiana. And we talked a little bit about what that was like being a gay kid growing up in Louisiana. You know, you're not supposed to be gay, right? You can't be gay. It's just not part of the way things go. So he had to have a girlfriend and he was in football, flag football, but I said flag, ladies and gentlemen, F-L-A-G. We talked about our body issue images that have carried us over from being kids. We talked about dating. And then he was so open and honest about living with HIV for the last 25 years and how he incorporates it into his stand-up because it's his story and it's who he is. I asked him, are you surprised you're still alive today? And he said, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Tyson Jackson. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're here. Oh, thank you. And I, I'm, I would say I'm happy to be white, but that just sounds so racist these days, doesn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm happy to be white. I would just say I'm happy to be Tyson. There, thank you. I'm happy to be Tyson, and I'm happy, happy to be here on Grounded with you, Joe. Oh, thank you so much. You know, when I first watched your set, um, the one that I have clips that I'm going to share from today, I knew I wanted to have you on the show because you are so honest and raw and open <laughs> with your comedy that I thought I should have him on because he'll fucking say anything. And I, and that's, I love that. Thank you. And, and I enjoyed when you started with uh, raw and open. That also sounded amazing. <laughs> well, that, that um, sounded like you, right? Raw, open, and ready to go. 
Always, always. Why can't I get a date? Oh, well, well, maybe um, you'll, maybe you'll get one at the end of this episode. Maybe. Hey, everyone, if you're listening, Tyson Jackson lives in the New York City area. We're just going to get this out of the way now. Lives in the which borough do you live in? Uh, I'm in Queens. I'm in Astoria. Of course, so I'll make it a little more specific. Well, of course, you're in Queens. I I, I should have just said what part of Queens are you in? Because that's just a given. Um, Astoria. Astorian Queens. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, you live in the New York City area in Queens, you're looking for a date. We're just going to get this out of the way now. Message me. I'll get you in touch with Tyson. How's that sound? <laughs> Love it. Right. Love it. Thank you. So this, um, this stand-up episode that I watched, it's about six minutes. And was it from the first time you ever did stand-up? That was my very first time ever doing stand-up, yes. And I think it was supposed to be about three minutes long. It was a class I had taken. Uh, my roommate, who so wonderfully saw this talent in me and said, you need to do this, bought me uh, a comedy lesson for my birthday because he knew there was no other way I was going to do this. I was too afraid to do it. Um, I had actually seen you do it a few times. I'm like, I cannot get up there and do this. God bless Joe. Well, I and, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so when I did it, it was supposed to be a three minute set and they give you, you know, a light. There's a guy in the back and he's signaling you to let you know your time is up. I don't remember seeing that at all. Uh, <laughs> it, not at all. Blew right through it. Uh, I got sat down and the whole class is looking at me. They're like, you just did about six minutes. You bumped you bumped someone from the set list because you just kept going. You were like, you were up there and you were like, I am born. This is it. You know, it was fun. It was it was a lot of fun each time I do it now. And uh you know, I have a new joke or two that I throw in every time, but it just seems like the set keeps growing. I'm ready for my own mini uh episode on Netflix. You're ready for your own Netflix special. In that in that yeah. first um, clip that I just played, though, what I thought was hilarious. So I turned it on. I watched it, and you come out. They introduce you. You're like, "Hold on, don't start it yet. I want to show you what I spent a lot of money learning." And you take the microphone off the mic and you move the mic. And yeah. I thought that was very smart and clever. And I was like, I remember it was like th thirty seconds in, and I said, "Oh." Oh, I'm impressed already. He doesn't have to say, like, he got his money's worth. I had a great time. I had a wonderful instructor as well. And, you know, I always say uh, there's sometimes I've started adding right before I get up there that everything that uh, the audience is about to hear is true. So for me, that is actually true. I mean, there's bits and pieces we embellish, but there's a, a bit of truth in every single thing and literally moving that mic stand to me was a bit of truth i'm like i just paid 300 dollars, and one of the things i got out of this class was move the mic stand before you start <laughs> so you always wanted to so did you always have this this passion for doing stand-up but just didn't think that you had the nerve or the the balls to get up there what held you back i honestly have always wanted to do this i was a theater major in college, which means I went on to work at many, many great restaurants. And when I got to New York, I thought, well, this is something I can just look at to do in my spare time. You know, I already had my nine to five job. I was making, you know, 
you got to, I'm not comfortable at my ripe old age of 48, uh, scraping to get by and New York is already tough enough. So there was no way I was going to go back to waiting tables to pursue this. And, uh, it was something I had always, always wanted to do. I always thought it would be fun. I thought I would be good at it, but I have a huge fear of failure. Mm. And I do, I do it so bad. Like, you know, when you used to go door to door as a kid and you would have to, I don't know if you had to sell things for school or like there was a school trip or a school vacation and you had to sell, I don't know, books or donuts or whatever it was door to door. I hated doing that because the first person that told me no, I was back at the house crying. It was horrible. So I kind of thought there's no way I can get in front of an audience and tell a story that or a joke. And if they don't laugh, I'm just going to end up never doing this again. Uh, and, you know, I've had some jokes not go over. But for me, this is all of my jokes, as I said, have some uh, little bit of truth in them. So for me, this is storytelling. It is getting up there and sharing part of my life with an audience and seeing how we can connect and then just going from there. You know, I, I'm the same way. I am not the type of stand-up comedian who gets up and does joke, 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 joke. Um, that's why I don't do well at open mics where I only have like five minutes. I'm like, five minutes? I'm just getting when I, to where when I had diarrhea. That's not even going to get... I can't even get to the whole joke in five minutes. Um, I know. So I understand your the thought process of doing storytelling. Now, so you, you get the class you get into this class how long was this class it was about eight weeks we would meet once a week for three hours and it's interesting because uh when you talk about joke 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 that was what he was training us for our instructor was oh, very okay. good he says we're gonna write we're gonna write set up punchline set up punchline you only have three minutes i don't want to hear a story um, and of course we all started with these long stories. I remember the first night, I mean, we must've each been up there 30 minutes, uh, <laughs> just telling, you know, telling part of the story. And it was fun for me. We did get it down to mostly set up and punchline, but he had said that he felt that I was somebody that could tell a story and keep it entertaining. And I said, well, thank you because that's my style. And yeah, I want to be entertaining. I always kind of envisioned myself like the Margaret Cho type mm. or the, Kathy Griffin type, more Margaret Cho. So it's funny. You're going to have a story that goes along with it. You're probably going to have a serious message somewhere in there. And then you're going to be funny again. Right. You're going to, you know, you're going to teach the audience something. And that's what's good stand-up. Good, smart stand-up is where you make them laugh, but then they're like, oh, right. I'm an asshole sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's why I start with the uh, the thing about my name. My name is Tyson Jackson, and if you haven't noticed, I'm white. Um, and then we touch on that a few times uh, later on about how people just assume that I'm going to be this big, beautiful black man that walks out on stage, and instead I walk out there. Well, you're a big, beautiful black woman inside, so it makes sense to me. I am. You thank are. You. Every gay guy is. Every gay guy's got a little black woman in them. Um, you know, I'm scared that, that there's something buried in there. I want to try as a joke one time, but I have to be careful and not do that on the Upper East Side for some reason. <laughs> that uh, I, It's been hit or miss. Sometimes I get out there and I'm saying, in case you're wondering, I'm white. And it's just, you know, you hear the crickets in the audience. And then other times 
they love it. So we'll have to try that at a different location. Well, yeah, and right now, comedy is so... It's scary for the comedian and for the writer because right? back in the day, you would just write something and just say, you know, it's a joke. I'm fine. It's a joke. This is what I do. I get up on stage. Once you have the microphone in your hand, there's a difference between being on a stage, having a microphone in your hand and telling jokes, then sitting around a table at a restaurant going, my name's Tyson and I'm white. Yes. There's a complete, <laughs> but in society now, that difference has melded has melded away. It's it's vanished. So now it's yeah. it's you know you're on stage and people are judging you for your jokes when they should just be like, oh, these are jokes. I like I don't get offended by jokes. I remember you. I cannot remember exactly what the issue was, but there was something you had posted one time on Facebook, and it was kind of like that someone took offense and then it like snowballed i wish i could remember off the top of my head but you you brought this out and you were like no this is a difference of you know i i'm just being funny and i think that we've become too sensitive at times oh yeah. you know i think you can definitely cross a line as a comedian um we've seen that happen but let's use kathy griffin for example oh i love the, her the, i love her the, right and yeah. so the whole I'm going to get in trouble and I hope that your listeners don't get mad at me. Oh, the no. whole, tr the Trump head thing to me was fucking hilarious. The first time it happened, I'm like, you know, this picture is pretty funny. Yeah. And then <laughs> there's ahead, this out. Yeah. There's this outcry and all of a sudden everybody's outraged. And I had to stop and I, I bought into the faux outrage for a minute. I was like, well, I think maybe she went a little too far. And because everybody was caught up in how bad it was. And now that we're on the other side of it, I'm like, no, that shit was funny. Like, I thought it was funny the first time. When that whole thing, I remember that, that you know, of course, who doesn't remember that? When it happened, I was like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. But... I can see where she's coming from. She is a very, she does not like the man. You know, what is the difference between her doing that and anti-Obama people putting up Obama dolls in their front yard in Alabama and hanging them from a noose? Yeah, absolutely not. At least none. Kathy Griffin is a comedian. Exactly. <laughs> when you live with your 10 tractors out front, and your big cross hanging out in the front yard and you got Obama <laughs> hanging in the front yard. That's not funny. That's not even trying to be funny. Exactly. And that's, it was, it's hard to, you know, one of the best things about phone conversations too, is there's no sarcasm voice sometimes. So when you said, is there a difference there? And I'm like, no, there absolutely isn't. That's sarcasm. Yes. There's an absolutely huge difference right. in the person who's doing it out of hate and the person who's doing it out of humor, because that's the way they deal with things. Right. I used to get so upset when I would write a joke on the um, Flight Attendant Joe Facebook page and somebody would take it and just start rolling with it. I would get upset. I would get worried. And then I thought, wait a minute, I write in big fucking bold letters comedian page on here. So if you're going to be all upset and cry about it, go call your pastor. Maybe he'll like, I don't know what they do. I'm not a religious man, but they'll figure it out. Um, yeah, I, there's like milk and cookies involved and somebody gets on their knees and they pray. Like take an and, edible for Christ's sake. Just yeah. fucking relax. <laughs> um, speaking of Alabama, you're from Louisiana, which they're like cousins, right? Yeah, they are. Okay. There's kind of the same thing. We don't know how to spell either one. So we just mix a bunch of letters <laughs> up and you get the other one. Oh, that's funny. I like that. Um, <laughs> what's it like growing? So what's it like growing up in Louisiana? 
Oh, wow. Um, so I grew up a poor black child. <laughs> I know um, you did. Your mom beat that, that black out of you. Your mom beat the black out of you, and now you're just a skinny gay white guy. She absolutely. And you know what's so funny? Um, it is, it, Louisiana was just one of those places. Uh, I am from a small town called Baker, Louisiana. And it is, it is everything that you just think it would be based on that name alone. There were probably 200 people that graduated in my high school graduation, uh, small town. I of course wasn't out because that was just not what God wanted for me. And so I would go to church and just pray each day that, you know, I would not have these evil feelings. And then I would go home and think about those evil feelings for a very long time. Um, While you were in the bathroom. Of course, of course. So, um, as one does, as a good Christian lady would, you keep it closed and behind the doors. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, true. so, I mean, it's, you know, growing up, I, w- I didn't come to the realization that I was gay until I, a little bit after uh, I had left uh, Louisiana and I was actually in the military. That's a whole other episode we can do. Um, so, I would say that Louisiana is exactly what you expected. I remember. You know, my girlfriend's mother showing me the wedding dress they had already bought for the wedding. I hadn't even proposed. Oh, I didn't yeah, even know I was yeah. going to propose. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, here's the here's the grandmother's diamond. One day it's going to make a lovely ring. Wink, wink. You know, those kind of things. And that whole bless your heart joke right. where we'd rather say bless your heart than fuck you is absolutely true. Right. It may not be bless your heart. It could be, how nice. (laughs) It could be, isn't that something? I mean, there's just a million of them. When we would rather say anything else, we are just going to keep our keeping up appearances. We're going to smile and just never show that we have emotion. Now, you, you know, growing up in Louisiana, you, of course, you're in high school, you can't be gay. I mean, that's the worst thing you could be. So you meet a girl and in your stand up routine, you talk about that you actually were engaged. I indeed was. You were engaged. Now, you talked a few minutes ago about the fear of failure. So when you're, you're, <laughs> you're living this life, why are you laughing already? Do you know where this? Uh, here, don't know where it's going. Here, here I'm going with. Uh, here I'm going with this question. I do my homework and I write down a lot of things so I can bring them back up. So you talked about your failure, your fear of failure. So you're you're going through these motions of getting married to a woman. Um, you don't maybe realize you're gay yet or not. Once you say I can't get married, do you do you fight that? Is that a failure to you at that point? Oh, uh, I actually, I mentioned it briefly. She called it off and, and I am really, really thankful that she did, um, many reasons. Clearly, uh, it would make the lifestyle I'm leading now very difficult. I would be one of those men in the truck stop that gets arrested. Like they're on the local news, you know, the Senator is tapping his foot underneath the bathroom stall. That would be me. I'm fully convinced that would be me. I would have followed through with it. I would have kept thinking that uh, the feelings, because I think at the time I had had maybe one sexual experience at that point in time with a man um, or a guy. And so I know that I just would have kept thinking, no, this will go away. This is not what, you know, it's meant to be. It's not what God's meant. And I did love her. 
especially now looking back in a childish 17 year old way, but she is the one that called it off. And as far as fear of failure, um, I can <laughs> thought you were going to go the sexual route. What happened if you couldn't perform? Oh, no. uh, <laughs> well, because people always ask me that when I tell them that I've actually, I'm not a gold star gay. I've, I've had sex with a woman and, um, you know, I won't lie. It was good back then. I was 17. Shit. The wind blowing the right way felt good. Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, ultimately it is not what, uh, what is going to make me happy. I kind of, uh, worked this new part in recently into my act where, um, and these are things that I never thought I would have to scream in my entire life. My roommate, uh, is going to eat some food that I had bought that is uh, in the refrigerator. And I had to scream out, don't eat that. It's for when we get coronavirus. <laughs> and so in my act now, um, and kind of in retrospect, it probably would have gone down like this. You know, I see her naked. She's beautiful. She's the epitome of womanhood, you know, and then I see her, her vagina and, Suddenly, I scream out, don't eat that for when we get coronavirus. <laughs> or just don't eat it. Just don't eat it. Um, <laughs> Not even coronavirus could drive just, me there. Don't even eat it if you have the flu. Just, just don't, <laughs> no. don't do it. Now, you, you played football in high school. Am I correct? Okay. Now, when we talk about a little element of truth, I'm going to be honest and tell you that it was Flag football. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious! It, it 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 was flag football, but yes, I did play it in early high school. I played. Okay, flag wait a minute. Football. First of all, I thought you said fag football, and I almost pissed my pants. <laughs> flag football, flag. flag. It is okay. kind of the same thing. Now, I honestly, it's the same and thing. Flag when you football are the same thing. Yes. And when you come from the South, of course, and once you're, you know, once you're in the high school and all the kids are playing high school, but it's just not my thing. So, of course, kids are like, oh, you used to play that fag football. Oh, would they really say that? Yes. Uh, kids were mean and horrible in the I South. I was just joking. Yeah. See, again, just joking. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now it's hilarious. Back then I was like. Well, it was painful. I'm not it a hurt. Yeah. Right. Oh, course. yeah. Not only, not only are you suppressing your true feelings, but, you know, I remember being in middle school, high school, probably kindergarten. Lord knows I was a big queen. Um, <laughs> if somebody even said, you're gay, oh, my God, I would practically bang the kindergarten teacher just to prove that I was not. Right. So exactly. And, yeah, absolutely. I remember, you know, having crushes on girls like every other week for that same reason. In retrospect, did I have a crush on them? Probably not. It was just the fact that the class thought that I liked boys. Did you now, s- Oh, in fact, and this is not a joke. This is not a fucking joke. So, uh, my high school was fucking mean. So <laughs> the, you know, in the yearbook you have like most likely to, you know, be the next president or whatever. Our senior uh, team who was on the yearbook staff did a little end of year newsletter for the school and they decided to do some funny, most likely twos. Well, Greg Luganus had just come out as Mm. being gay. 
right. as being HIV positive. And he was also a very fit man. I was an obese kid in high school. They voted me most likely to be the next Greg Louganis. Fuck them! Now, now, because of the gay thing or because he's, he wasn't chubby? I, no, that's the thing, isn't it? I, let's, let's vote the fat kid to be the swimmer. There were just so many things they were teasing me about in that one statement. I'm like, you know what? Screw all you guys. You're all going to end up married to your cousin. Right. <laughs> and you're all going to have about four wives by the time it's done. And nobody's leaving Baker, Louisiana, I hate to tell you. No, 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 they aren't. When you just uh, mentioned chubby, fat, and swimming, I just had this flashback to when I failed two years of physical education in high school because I had to take swimming two years and I was, and you know, what's so funny about life? Like today I have man boobs. Like if I transitioned, I would save like 50% cause they wouldn't even have to do my boobs. I would just go in and be like, no, no, just do the bottom part because like, I'm already like a double a, but when you're in, like in high school, Having man, oh. and I wasn't even, you know, the funny part is back then I wasn't even that chubby, but in your mind, that's what you think, mm. right? And yeah. I can remember it would be swim class and the, it got to the point where the coach was like, you're not going to, I'm like, I'm not taking my shirt off. So uh, just give me an F. It's the first day. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I will not grab, I refuse to graduate from high school. If, if, <laughs> It's either graduate or take my shirt off. I'm going to get my GED. <laughs> the best part is I just have some really good uh, visual, vivid images in my head of you with the swim cap on with the flowers on top of it. <laughs> no, it didn't even get, yeah. well, I had hair back then, but didn't even get that far. I would walk in, it was all steamy and hot and sweaty and all the hot boys would take their shirts off. And I was like, there's no way they're seeing these flabby things flopping around in the pool. You know, it's funny you say that because especially when you tell people as an adult that you're gay and then you, you describe things like that. It's, Almost like I'm listening to you describe my childhood. I was the same way. I would come home. My dad's like, how are you failing PE? And you couldn't even explain it. No, you can't. Like, you literally can't. couldn't. And so now as an adult saying, oh, you're a gay man, you walk into a hot, steamy room and guys have their shirts off. It means something completely different now than it did back then. It was so terrifying and petrifying back then. And then to know that that was so traumatizing to me. To now be able to go into a steamy hot locker room. Oh, I'm sorry. I just oh, yeah, distracted please, myself please. by can saying we, that. Can we get back into this thing? No, I, I listen, I still won't. I still have a problem taking my shirt off. Like, if I am on a layover, I'll just go swimming in my uniform. I'm like, I'm not, like, if, the, if everyone's like, we're going down to the hot tub, I'm like, well, I, you know, thank God I brought two shirts to wear. Yeah. It yeah. was it was recently. I moved to New York uh, about four and a half years ago, and I ran into one of my friends from back home in Louisiana who had escaped and he had gotten out. And we were like, "Good <laughs> job!" And he called me up and was like, "Hey, do you want to go over to uh, New Jersey? There's a beach everybody goes to." And I'm like, "Fuck yeah, let's go to the beach." Well, it was a nude beach, oh, and yeah. right. So having that fear. I was like, you know what? I can do this. I can actually go. I'm going to make, you know, there has to be all kinds of different body types. And there, there really, really is. If you ever get to go over 
uh, it's right here in Jersey. It's like a short little uh, ferry ride over there. It's an amazing time. But again, not knowing what I was walking into, I'm like, I can do this. I have all the confidence in the world. And now I realize that my friends, I don't know what they've put in water these days, but these millennials, their dicks are just fucking huge. And they're just walking around, like just greeting each other by shaking dicks. I don't know how they even do it. And <laughs> I am, I am laid out literally like a Tic Tac fell vertically upright on a jellyfish. I'm dead. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it was bad. Oh, it was bad. You know, um, I just talked about this on a recent episode, but um, my husband talked me into going to a nude beach. And when I got down there, I was like, where is the old man section? <laughs> right? Just so I could feel better about myself. And um, at one point we were walking by and people were playing volleyball. And I was like, you only play volleyball on the beach so your dick can flop around. Thank you. Because these people, you can tell they don't play volleyball anywhere else. They ain't playing volleyball down at the rec center in town. No, they take their <laughs> pants off, their dicks are flopping around, and they're like, hey, let's make this even bounce more by playing volleyball for no reason. It's absurd. It is absolutely insane. <laughs> and I watch that tournament each and every time I go. <laughs> Listen, Matt and I were just driving through Boulder, through um, Colorado University, driving through the street where all the um, frat houses were. And on mm. it was like 70 degrees. It was just warm in Denver that day. And it was like 70 degrees. Thank God he was driving because we drove by <laughs> and they were out there playing um, cornhole, not the one you think. <laughs> they were playing volleyball they were doing they were jumping they were on the roofs like arm wrestling and wrestling on the roof and i was like thank god i'm not driving because i would have crashed in front of this frat house uh, <laughs> were they in their basketball shorts i love basketball oh, shorts uh, in the summer don't basketball <clears throat> shorts or sweatpants i'm good all year yeah that's uh, all you need I'm going to play a little clip. Do you mind? It's one of your I clips. Don't mind it's all. not one of mine. I'm not that. My, my, can you imagine bringing someone on the show and saying, hi, I'm going to play a clip. It's of me. Oh, my God. What a great episode, though, if you totally prank somebody and you're like, like, you just tell them the whole show is going to be about them and then you end up talking <laughs> about yourself the whole time. Oh, well, you know, it's hard for me not to talk about myself. So that's why I was like, I can't have a podcast where I'm just going to talk about me because like one person will download it and then I'll be kicked off iTunes. I have to bring people on that I can actually mask that I really want to talk about myself, but I'll talk about them for a minute. So let me play this well, clip. Well, let's talk on. about me and then I want to talk about you as well. Oh God, there's nothing exciting about me. Here, I'm going to play this clip. Dating's always been hard for me. Uh, my friend suggested like I try those apps, you know, like Grindr or Scruff. So um, I tried Snapchat. <laughs> right? So I'm sitting there and I get this private message from this guy. It's, it's just his butthole. And it's, it's hashtag hatefuckme. Whoa. Right? Yeah, so I did the polite thing and I responded. I sent back a picture of my junk. I'm like, hashtag love wins. <laughs> the next day my phone rings and I pick it up. Tyson Jackson, this is your mother. <laughs> 
Preacher Adam's wife says that your penis is all over Snapchat. <laughs> I don't know what was more embarrassing, the fact that Enola Adams knew how to use Snapchat and I didn't, or that my junk was everywhere. <laughs> I love uh, it. And please, please, for the love, if you have to lie to me, did that really happen? It happened. Okay. Can you can you tell me what it, happened? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't uh the grandma or my mom that called me back, but um thank God it wasn't. Uh my parents are just learning how to use emojis on phones. Okay. Thank God. Right. Um, oh, well, I yeah, mean, so you can't go from emojis to their son's cock. That 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 could <laughs> say they're never gonna get out of Louisiana. <laughs> Oh God. Okay. So, so let's, let's just start this story off. I would like to put a disclaimer in front of the whole thing and say Ambien. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> oh, uh, isn't that the Roseanne excuse? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, if it's good enough for Roseanne, it's good enough for you. Go ahead. But I wasn't going off on racist tirades that I do even when I'm not on Ambien. This, well, I guess I do send pictures of my dick when I'm not on Ambien, but all right. Anyway, um, there was this, uh, <laughs> oh, when we're not recording, remind me to tell you the whole story. Well, you, so, can't, you can't say that. You can't say that on the podcast. Because now people listening are like, well, what's the story? That's like podcasting. Oh, let, Can you just like break it down real quick and not so graphic that anyone, oh, anyone in like Missouri over 50 doesn't stop listening to my show? Absolutely. Yes. Perfect. I will make it very PG. Let's just say that at a uh, previous job that uh, I was very cautious about, about not breaking a certain barrier with my coworkers. So we were coworkers and you were going to be my coworker and that was going to be it just because it can get weird at work. You know, something goes wrong and now you got to see each other. You're at the water cooler except for this one guy. And still to this day, if he were to just call me up, I, we never did anything. We never kissed. We never hugged. We never did. It was all purely online and it was good. You know, just sending some pictures back and forth. So I um, will disclose that, you know, maybe I was a flight attendant in a previous life. And so I get this picture that says "Good morning from West Palm Beach," and it actually <laughs> go ahead. It I'm actually sorry. it actually said "Good morning from PBI." You know, it was totally an right. airport lingo, airport code, and yes. it's on Snapchat. I really didn't know how to use Snapchat. I had maybe eight, ten friends on there. Okay, eight or ten friends at the most. I uh, get this picture, and I had taken Ambien that night, and I was starting to like fall asleep. And it said "Good morning from PBI," and it's his dick like standing upright and then you see out the window the big uh uh landscape of the beautiful west palm beach downtown area so, <laughs> well at least it was taken with photography in mind but go ahead yeah, yeah it was artistic. so i decide well, i'm gonna send one back and so i do i like take a picture of my junk and i don't even know what i said when i sent it back and i am at the gym the next day working out and uh, my friend Adam texts me and he's like, why is your dick on Snapchat? Oh my God. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, yeah, dude, you're like, your dick is on Snapchat. So I, 
I had to stop in the middle of class, right? And then you got the instructor yelling at you, come on, get off your phone, get back on the bike. And I'm like, if she only knew, I'm Googling how to delete a picture from Snapchat. I had posted it to, um, yeah, I guess it's like your wall on Facebook. Right, I posted right. it for everybody to see instead yeah. of responding privately. It's like Instagram yeah. stories. Yeah. It would be like if you had your it's it would be like this is gonna be about me. It would be like if I had my dick <laughs> on the flight attendant Joe Instagram story. I would just pack up everything and sell all my equipment, burn my books and be done. <laughs> exactly. And that is kind of how it felt. Uh, even though it was only like eight or ten people, which by the way, still to this day I do not use Snapchat because of that. Uh it it, it was it might as well have been millions. I was just like, oh my God, I felt like the lady, I felt like the instructor, the bicycle instructor was, I felt like secretly she had seen it. She did. I'm like, <laughs> Get up on your bike. We all know, we've all seen your dick. Now start pedaling. Oh God, I love it. Um, what goes through your, so your dick's all over Snapchat, even though, and like, like you just said, only 10 people see it, but in your mind, that's 10 billion people, more people than on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Do you start I thinking, I'm going to get fired? Like, what? where does your brain go? Oh, my brain, of course it went there. But, I, you know, it's interesting because I had already been to the nude beach, so at least 10,000 people saw it. So I don't <laughs> know why I was concerned. Um, I instantly thought of just, uh, honestly, my roommate at the time's mother, who was friends with me on all social media. Okay. So instantly I thought, Oh my God, is she on my Snapchat? That's where the whole mom calling me part comes from in the routine. Perfect. Because as I instantly thought of her. I was like, oh my God, what if Sandra has seen this? She's going to die. She was kind of, to me, like my surrogate mom at the time. My mom was in and out of the hospital uh, battling cancer. So I'd really kind of uh, bonded with my roommate's mom. And was just, you know, she's a super sweet lady. And all I could think was, she may have just seen my dick. But on the other hand, thinking about my old mom seeing it, I'm like, eh, let her see it one more time. She took care of me when I was an infant. She needs to see it again before she goes. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's just, that's so wrong, but so right. <laughs> I love it. Now, now, my theory is if you have, like, if somebody has a big dick and it accidentally gets on Instagram stories, they're probably not going to rush to get it off if they're proud of it. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. I'm now in tears. Thank stop, you. Stop. I'm still recording. I can't take it. But that's my thought. You know, it's like it's like guys who take their shirts. It's why I don't have pictures of my shirt off on social media. But everyone who's proud of their chests do. Except there are a few flight attendants I work with who take their shirt off on social media. And I just want to send them a message and say, you should do everyone a favor and stop. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to look at Hershey Kiss nipples or Reese's peanut butter cup nipples on a man. But I'm getting Reese's off. peanut butter cup nipples. That is amazing. Listen, I've only ever heard pepperoni. Listen, I used to love Reese's peanut butter cups until I saw something on social media one day and I was like, I'm going right over back to Snickers. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Oh, terrible. oh terrible. God. Yeah, I, you know, I, and, I wouldn't even limit it to the flight attendant world. They're just people on social media that need to be told, put your shirt back on. But I will say this. Um, 
maybe that is why I took my dick pic down. Maybe I didn't want the truth of the size of the matter getting out there. I'd rather let the legend live in everybody's head. And um, there is actually, interestingly enough, there was a study I was uh, reading about recently done in the UK, probably 10 years ago. And they found that people with lower self-image or lower self opinions of themselves, I'm not saying this correctly, who's, uh, they had body image issues. They found that their body image issues lessened once they hung around naked of people of the similar body size. Interesting. Yeah, so there's actually a whole show you can watch. Uh, cannot remember the name. If you just, like, Google Naked Reality Show UK, it'll come up. And they sent uh, all these people of various sizes and, and shapes and colors to go to this resort where they hung out naked with these other people who, like, one man was missing a leg, one man was really um, overweight, one lady was super skinny, just to be around people who were like them and saw how they learned to love and accept themselves. I like that. And, you know, let's let's go back a moment and let everyone listening know that these are jokes. We're just being funny. If you want to take your shirt off and let your Reese's peanut butter cups fucking hang all over social media... I don't care. I'm not going to do it, but go ahead. And I still love Reese's peanut butter cups. You know, you got to see, you got to be careful because you could just say, Hey, why are you, you shouldn't take your shirt off. And then you're going to get attacked by people as saying you shouldn't, who are you to tell somebody not to take their shirt? I have eyeballs. That's who I am. (laughs) I can see. I can see. And we were all thinking it. Yeah. That's the funniest part, right? But you mentioned earlier in this episode that you have body image issues yeah absolutely i grew up just a big kid i remember in uh second grade i got sent home with a note from the school and the the note said essentially we're concerned about your kid he's put on all this weight suddenly you need to take him to a doctor and then nothing happened or or not you need to take him to the doctor it was just kind of a we're concerned thing and then Nothing happened, and about a month later, there's another note sent home with me that says, we are concerned if you don't take him to a doctor, we will, you know, I guess take this to the next step. I don't know what they're going to do, call child protection on me being too fat. I wasn't abused. There was no bruises or anything. It was just me being a huge kid. But it happened so quickly. It happened over the course of, like, three months. And I think they thought something might be... Yeah, they okay. thought something probably was medically wrong would be my, my thinking now. I was a kid. I'm like, I just like ho-hos and ding-dongs. <laughs> well, we know you like ding-dongs, but now we're yeah. talking about when you were a kid. So. <laughs> but we digress. <laughs> so yeah. you gained a lot of weight in three months, and the school was like, you need to do something or, or we're going to have to follow up on this? Yeah, yeah. And so they took me back in the day. They took me to, you know, the, the doctors weren't um, – it's so funny. I don't know how you feel. I'm only 48, but it's always, well, back in the day. Back, I know I'm going to be one of those old people in the home. I'd be like, we used to walk to school um, yes. in the snow. Well, I'm uh, 47, and I say, oh, you know, back in the day, and I'm actually talking about 91. Yeah, right? So, I was yeah. talking to a kid the other day who doesn't even remember the TV show, The Facts of Life. 
Oh, that is so sad. There's some people who don't uh, know who Barbara Streisand is, and I just give up on life. So I get, yeah, that. yeah, I get that. Well, those people, that's that's fine. I totally believe in euthanasia. Um, uh, but um, boom, the, sh- I know, just a joke, just a joke. Uh, so yeah, so back then the doctors weren't really. They weren't, especially in Louisiana, there wasn't like, oh, nutrition counseling. There wasn't all that. Literally, the doctor who was the diet doctor, his wife was like the model of the local version of Macy's down in Louisiana. Skinny little lady. Well, now we know why. His only prescription for uh, dieting was literally a prescription. And they put me on these appetite suppressants. And the first few, I I only remember going like a handful of times. The first visit went well. Uh, Second visit, well, it didn't go well. I mean, here I am, a fat little obese kid. He's like, duck walk around the room. I remember that to this day, having to duck walk in my underwear around a room for a fat doctor. Now, in other circles these days, he may be taken to court for that. Sure. (laughs) I had to duck walk around the room in my underwear. How old were you? Uh, I must have been 10 at the time. Okay. All right. So just yeah. like a normal 10 year old who's gotten chubby, I think it happens to everyone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so the, the appetite suppressants worked well. And then in one time frame, however long the visits were, let's say I was only supposed to lose three pounds. I lost, you know, double that. I lost six pounds or 10 pounds. And he said that that wasn't good because that means, I wasn't eating and the body will burn muscle instead of fat. And they took me off the pills and I ballooned right back and gained everything back. So at that point, my parents said, well, this is just stupid. Let's just let the kid eat. And years later, I still can't take my shirt off at the pool. Just like, yo. Yeah. Well, I've actually gotten do better now. now. I've, I've actually gotten better. Like I'm not going to walk outside and go check the mail with my shirt off. That's just not even an option, but like, well, why a, people even do that anyway? Why, why, what is it about the mail that needs, you need to be shirtless for what's coming I, in that mail? I don't think it's fair. I think women have to wear, sh- women wear shirts and I say have to, because society has deemed it necessary for them to wear bras and shirts, but I still don't agree. Like women can't walk around with their top off. Why the fuck is your shirt off? Put a shirt on, right. put a shirt right. on. But you know, when I'm on a boat or if I'm out in Florida visiting friends and I'm on a boat, I'll take my shirt off, but it's literally, I have to stand on the edge of the boat unless I'm with other chubby people. If I'm with skinny people, <laughs> I probably won't go, but yeah. I will have Correct. to, I have to stand on the edge of the boat, rip off the shirt, jump in the water, splash around, climb back in the boat. And before anyone even blinks, my shirt's back on. Yes, of course. The water is a safe area. You can't see anything while you're in the water. Right. Even if I jump up to grab a beach ball, you know, the water, the hair, it's all kind of mixed together. Nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. Yes. Now, and I want to be very, very clear to everyone who's listening to your show or who will stumble upon this at any point in time in their life. (laughs) It is, it's, we are making jokes about it, but it's fucking traumatizing. Oh, of course. Being a kid having it happen. And still, like, I love and accept myself, but every time I do go to a beach, every time it's a social setting, I don't have social settings where my shirt just comes off. But actually, yes, let's use this. Let's say, you know, you're at the local gay bar and a good little disco song comes on and all of a sudden everybody's got their shirts off. 
it's still, there's that part of me that will get a little nauseous in my tummy, like, oh God, I really am judging myself more than anybody else in the room possibly could. And it's difficult. So, you know, fuck it. Why not joke about it? Oh, well, you know, that's how, that is why I have this theory. And, you know, you're the third comedian I've had on the show this month. Um, I I wanted to do this entire thing where I was just interviewing comedians to get different perspectives from different comedians. But, you know, I have this theory that people who get into comedy usually have some type of fucked up situation that leads them into this. I'm going to joke about myself because I'm serious about how I feel about my body. Did you just get mugged? You live in Queens. I know. I was a little concerned there myself. No, some, uh, you know, some dishes fell over. I'm in the living room slash kitchen slash bedroom. You know how New York is. I thought this is going to be great for episode downloads. (laughs) If he's getting mugged on the show, I'll be like, I'll be like, tie him up, tie him up. (laughs) Yeah. you know, oh gosh! I do. Oh God, I forgot. Don't tie him up. He'll hate it more if you don't tie him up. That's <laughs> true. But you know, how do you torture a gay man? You don't tie him up. You don't tie him up. You don't put him in the gr- you don't put him in the glove box. No glove box. That that <laughs> that ended that ended quick. But you know, I find I pick on myself a lot. That self deprecating humor because it helps me deal with it. Yeah. Yes. It and makes me feel I, better. It does. And I think even uh, we talked about this in my comedy class. Like it is such an easy thing for comedians to do because it's, it's an easy laugh as well. You know, anytime you're kind of putting yourself down, it, well, hopefully you're good when you do it. I saw somebody bomb at it this weekend. And that's the problem. When you bomb at it, it's really miserable to watch and it's not healthy. And my instructor was actually really good at and the people I watch and the people I like, including yourself, are very good at finding a balance. So the entire act is not self-deprecation. Um, it's just enough to, you know, be honest with yourself and then you're moving on. It's not dwelled. Uh, the whole set isn't dwelled in woe is meism or how horrible this was, but isn't it funny? Well, for me, I think I'm going to make fun of myself before you do. Yes. So I'm going to get up here and write jokes and talk about my man boobs and grab them. So, because I believe you're thinking about it. So I'm just going to beat you to the punch. I'm going to pick on myself first and then fuck you. Yes. That's why I always talk about my extra large penis because I know everybody is thinking about it already. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Like the extra large Tic Tac. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Have you, okay. Have you seen those big boxes of fucking Tic Tacs? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have. <laughs> what, what's the point? What's the point? Well, some people like the orange ones and they like to eat them 50 at a time. Who are you oh to my. judge, Tyson? <laughs> who am I to judge? Well, my name is Tyson Jackson. That's who exactly. I am to judge. So let me ask you this. Your comedy... Yeah tends to get to focus on your gay lifestyle. It's for, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's about you and it's about your life. Do you ever have any plans to write, you know, more, uh, more more jokes for a broader audience? Are you focused on this is who I am? I'm going to tell gay jokes and that's it. 
Uh, no, absolutely. So this is all still relatively new for me. And so when you asked me to do the show, I was like, thank you. I feel like a little celebrity. Um, no, it's new for me. And so I am definitely writing things still that, uh, and trying some things out that you, uh, I'll send you a link that you can share with all of your, uh, listeners as oh, well of a late a set I did recently. Um, where I am trying some new things that aren't about just being about, that aren't about just being gay. There, use my word. Yes. Uh, yeah, and the, the set I wrote was written from my experiences in life. That way, if I ever try something out and it does not go over well, I have something to go back to because I can always remember my life. Um, yeah. So that was kind of how those jokes came about, but I'm definitely up for new material. And the thing is, you know, I, I see some of these uh, comedians or I hear stories now that I'm doing this more, and I'm sure you're aware of people, you know, buying jokes or something. I'm not against buying some jokes because I can deliver the hell out of some material, but I still want the jokes for me to somehow have meant something in my life. So if it's not, gay related or it's an observation i kind of want to tie it back into something uh just for my own gratification for my own gratification that's why i do this um it's important to me when i'm doing this my ultimate goal is to tell a whole story this is kind of my life this is my observations on people this is how we can all treat each other better and love ourselves thank you good night go home and that's why the jokes i write they don't have to be about me being gay but i definitely want people to be able to identify in them. I don't want them to be so absurd and out there um, that they're unrelatable and they're just funny because they're funny. That's kind of where I am. That's okay. And you're just getting started too. So of course you're going to write jokes that you un- that make you feel comfortable, that you are knowledgeable, knowledgeable about. And so you're picking things right up from your experience. Yes. But yes. And go ahead. I was going to say the hardest, and that's been the hardest thing for me. This, when I started out doing or having this idea to do comedy, that was always one of my bigger things. Like, well, I can be funny at a party. I can be funny uh, when I'm drunk. I can be funny when it's a social situation, but I can't go on stage and be funny. And writing has probably been the biggest challenge for me so far taking that time to sit down and write something out to start getting an idea of how the joke is going to look versus just trying to wing it and put it together in my head and hope that it works out on stage. Well, you definitely have to write it out and work it out first and then tell it a thousand times. Um, Let's talk about, you just said something about buying jokes. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't like that. Um, Me either. um, How could you buy jokes from someone and then get up on stage and deliver them and connect with them? That's the thing. And, and I said, although I could do it and deliver the hell out of it, it is not what I would do. And, um, I, I didn't honestly even think that was a thing Yeah. until, you know, of course I started doing a little bit of this and, and, and heard about it. And then I literally, uh, worked with a girl who had to have bought her material because there was no way she was that funny on stage. Mm, okay. To have been that much of a terror and a bore backstage. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. But you know, a lot of comedians, I'll use Amy Schumer, for instance. Mm -hmm. When she's on stage, she's Amy Schumer. When she's in the green room, she's introverted and she doesn't want to be bothered. Got that. Understand that. This was kind of the opposite case. This was a little diva. So, you know, um, for those who don't know, those who aren't in the industry, let's enlighten (laughs) them. Um, Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times right now, what, what I'm dealing with are these bringer shows. So I have to have three friends come or five friends come, depends on the venue at some of these bigger clubs in order to get stage time. So I am encouraged to write new jokes and to find new friends who want to keep coming to these things because it can get expensive. My roommate can't go every weekend. He knows my material. It's fine. Um, but in doing this, I met this one wonderful, let's just call her Linda. I can't remember her real name. And this was the girl who I'm convinced about all of her jokes. She came in, her guests were already there before she was, and they were already upset that there was a cover charge because they weren't told there was going to be a cover charge. And there's a shit ton of them. There's like at least 10 people. And okay. she's, they're upset. There's a cover charge. And, she, uh, she didn't tell us. Linda didn't tell us. We just saw it on Instagram, so we came. Well, now they finally get all that settled in. They end up buying their tickets and they go in, but they've created a huge scene for 30 minutes. Well, now the promoter of the show is kind of like ripping Linda a new one and it's like, you know, come on. Didn't you tell your people that they would have to buy tickets? Didn't you put the link to the tickets that I sent you in it? And she's like, you know, these are just my Instagram followers. I don't know who they are. And she got so upset at one point. She goes, I will take my half a million Instagram followers and leave this place. So I'm already like, girl, you are really extra. Well, it turns out it was her family. It was her mom and dad, the rest of the family. She told me she had just, she was so tired. She had just flown in from LA that day. She had done another gig at a a comedy show the night before. And then her family tried to walk out on a $700 bill. Oh, You yeah, know she bought those jokes. Yeah, that's just tackiness. And I, that's one of the things that I, you know, I'm not doing stand-up anymore. I, I say that I've retired, and it makes me feel good. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it is. I'm done. And, and yeah. um, one of the last shows that I did was at a comedy club called Rooster Tea Feathers in, in Sunnyvale, California. And I brought about seven people, which got me 10 minutes. And, mm-hmm. um, but that, like you said, that's exhausting. Starting out in comedy, like if I was 22, I'd be balls to the wall. I would be on the corner handing out flyers living in New York City. But at 47, I'll just sit behind my microphone on my comfy seat and doing yeah. that. Yeah, it's so much easier. Yeah. So, so you I, could be sitting there with your Reese's peanut butter cup nipples hanging out and nobody yes, knows. I could be naked right now. Absolutely. I'm not. I am. <laughs> I'm posting on Snapchat this, as we speak. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, sorry. Uh, I yeah, keep, but no, sorry, totally, totally with you. Sorry. I keep sniffling. Um, it's not Coke. You have the coronavirus. No, it's not Coke and it's not the coronavirus. <laughs> I just have like a sinus thing right now. Um, oh, I have allergies that just started like two days ago. So I've got this dry hacky cough and the looks I got on the subway today were 
just horrible. Like, I don't even want to get out of the house tomorrow now. These people are seriously judging me. They're going to remember. There's anybody. Oh, everybody. Like, I just clearly coughed into my elbow like you're supposed to. I'm not sweaty. I don't look pale. Nothing's wrong. It was one cough. And the lady sitting next to me pulled her shirt up and over her nose and stared at me the rest of the train ride. Oh, God. It was amazing. People are panicked here. Oh, yeah. Be lucky you live in the middle of nowhere now. Yeah. I live in the capital if you ever watch the Hunger Games. Okay. So I have some more clips for you. Not me. Okay. Of you. Ready? Here we go. I actually had come out twice. Um, 25 years ago, I was diagnosed as HIV positive, which means that I went viral before going viral was a thing. <laughs> my virus, like my comedy uh, career, is undetectable and medicated. <laughs> that joke is worth a billion dollars. Oh, thank you. Thank I, you. I love that joke. Um, I Is it is it missing a little part in there? Yes, I had to cut it out. Those were my <laughs> two favorite parts. Um, rule, number, yes. rule number 3,752, don't question the podcaster. No, never kidding. will. Um, no, never, ever. But, but thank you. I'm going to jot that down right now. I love, I love those two jokes. I think they're very smart and very well written and, and – just on point. When you started doing stand-up, did you ever think, did you ever consider not talking about being HIV positive? Or was it always like, no, of course, I have to talk about that? I have to. I have to. So that is, um, so a little bit about what's going on with me. You've, you've chatted with me a few times, but um, you know, moving to New York was a really, really difficult time for me. But my life before New York, uh, before being in the airline industry, before I was a server, before all of that, I was in college and, you know, it was a very different time as far as HIV was concerned. Um, I contracted HIV my sophomore year of college and had no reason to think I had. I literally went with a friend to support her while she was getting a test done for her relationship. She was going into, um, story of my life. I didn't have a relationship and I still don't if I haven't mentioned that. Um, I and think, I think, I think at the beginning of the episode, we tr I've already tried to hook you up. So yeah, I'm just dropping it again. Okay. It's called a callback. I just, yeah. yes, it is. Go ahead. <laughs> a, callback. a callback to dating me. Yes. Oh God. So yes. Um, so, but instantly, honestly, when it happened, I was in this mind frame, you know, uh, Pedro was on the real world and MTV, oh, I remember uh, that, yeah. you know, yeah. Ryan White, um, had passed away not too long before. So people were starting to speak out and to be activists. And I determined then that if this had to happen to anybody, um, I'm glad it happened to me because now I could be an example. I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at the time. No one else I knew of was positive at all. Nobody was out about it. You know, we had two small gay bars in the whole city at the time. It just wasn't discussed. And so I started doing some chatting with uh, one of the sexual health classes on campus. I started doing some volunteering and um, just sharing my story in, in prevention efforts, you know, to try to get people to understand that this can happen to you. and. Along the way, later on, you know, many years, there was an official AIDS diagnosis at one point. 
you know, there was a drug addiction, there was homelessness, there was all these things that come from being told you were going to die. We were told literally, you will not make it past this. The nurse looked me in my face and said, this will be what kills you one day. So I had always tried to be just an example and, and to share my story and to get people educated, get them tested, get them uh, on medications. And then, you know, life just happens. And I kind of fell out of that, um, hit that dark point. That's about the time, uh, you know, change careers, things started looking up. I moved to New York. Uh, things were okay. You know, wasn't homeless, didn't have the drug problem anymore, but it just, it just was. I wasn't involved in any activism around HIV. I wasn't doing anything with that. And it just kind of realized it was a calling for me. And I hate to use that because it sounds all religious. But I knew that I still had a message and that if I can outlive this shit for 25 years, um, now 26, that people need to know whether it's HIV, whether it's cancer, whether it's anything, you will be okay. Uh, and you can be okay. So that is when I started doing comedy. I'm like, no, I have to put this in my set. This is what I see my vision being one day. I see, you know, it's not going to be the whole show, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about interesting things that have happened over the last 25 years. And to me, it's very cathartic. It's a way of talking about the drug use, talking about the homeless part that allows me to poke fun at it, but I don't have to dwell on it. And then I can move on and hopefully everyone hears that message whenever I get through with my set. That's so powerful. I, I'm almost speechless if it wasn't me. I mean, I mean that that Thank is you. that's so powerful. You know, because I I was I almost got emotional a little bit. Like, okay, if I had emotions, of course. Yeah, just one, um, just one emotion. Just one emotion when you said that the nurse basically you will die from this. Like, no, I could walk out and get hit by a bus, bitch. But okay, yes, right, exactly. Yes, but you know, back yeah, in the absolutely. day, in eight in the eight, what year did you actually? contract HIV. 19, 1993. 1993. So, you know, mm -hmm. back then it was a, you know, they, it's a death sentence. You were going to die from this, you know, in 2020, Absolutely. it's kind of like having diabetes now. It is, it is. And, but I'm still finding that there's still a stigma associated with it. Not so much, um, in our community anymore, but because the message is now shifted and all of a sudden people are living it's a matter of oh we don't have to really talk about it or deal with it and so people aren't talking about being positive anymore and protecting themselves and we're starting to see a little increase in certain populations again because everybody thinks oh i can just take this pill and be fine or they haven't heard the same messages i remember never being able to go out to a club in 1992 1993 without a huge bowl of condoms right as the door when you paid your cover Absolutely. Or, Absolutely. or a group that. of people walking around, passing out common packs, talking to you about how to use them in the bar. This was just what they did. And you don't see those things anymore. I think it's, you know, we can say, oh, yeah, everybody knows how to use a condom. But, you know, the, the 18-year-old who they? just walked in. Correct. Yeah, That's from the thing. The 18-year-old who walked in may not. He may, he may have just gotten fresh off the bus from Louisiana as well and may not know. He needs somebody to take him under his wing and show him. Well, what I'm fascinated with is I did some I did some research in 2018. Approximately 37.9 million people were living with HIV in the world. Okay, so that was in 2018. In 2019, 1.7 million new worldwide cases. So 
Mm-hmm. One po- Why do you think people are still getting HIV when we know if you go and have unprotected sex, it's kind of like going on a cruise ship right now and thinking you're not going to get away, not catch coronavirus. Yes, and please don't let anybody find out that they're HIV positive by having Mike Pence go on TV and announce it before they know. Did you see that shit? No. Yes. So the people that are on, not the cruise ship that's about to dock, the one that docked like a week ago, maybe, they did not know that anyone on the cruise ship had tested positive for coronavirus until Mike Pence had a press conference and announced it. That was nice. So they're all watching it and they find this out. Yeah. But why yeah. do you, but so you're, you're somebody you've lived with HIV longer than you mm-hmm. didn't. Correct. So this is, wow. Yeah. When you think about that, I, that's amazing. You did do some research and some math. I have never huh. honestly put that together. Well, it's not, you're 48. And if you've had it for 26 years, I'm not, you know, that's pretty easy math. I mean, it wasn't even algebra. I'm a, I'm a comedian. I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> exactly. But so you've been um, living with HIV longer than mm-hmm. you didn't. So why do you think today we're still getting over a million people a year ha- catching a- getting HIV? Mm-hmm. White people. Well, actually, a lot of it <laughs> no, is I, black guys living on the down low. That's why I'm saying that's why people oh. are still getting it because of white people. Because we, you know, and let's think about the the history as well. Uh, this was a white man's disease when it started. Um, people of color, transgendered people, although they were getting it, they weren't mainstream enough. I, that's not even the right word I'm looking for. They weren't represented in anything in media or they weren't getting any attention. And, and gay men weren't either. They were just the first people to start speaking out. So it quickly became a a white man's disease, right? And it really didn't gain traction, if you think about it, until Ryan White, um, who was the teenager who contracted HIV because he was a hemophiliac and his blood uh, infusion was tainted. It really wasn't until him until it started becoming discussed on the news a lot. So it, it prevention moved forward, yes. Gay people spoke out, yes. White, educated men were the ones making noise and did a lot of wonderful things for people. But the problem is nobody spoke out for minorities. And I think the educational messages were not delivered when they should have. So now we're faced with, we're faced with, you know, the white people got it together now. You pretty much know most of them know their prevention messages. They know that they can go and get prep. They know that they can take a pill and, you know, stay HIV negative. But those messages aren't being delivered to the communities that need them. And so I think it speaks to money and funding. I think it speaks to access to health care. And a lot of it is still stigma around a lot of the issues, like you said, down low gay men in communities. You know, I can't be gay. I've got to be this person or, you know, I'm expected to be the machismo. I've got to have all these women. So there, there's a lot of issues I wish that we weren't seeing anymore. To me, it's unfathomable that we have this medication and we're still seeing new HIV infection rates. Um, if I had my magic wand, it of course would be zero. So I think 
to your point, that is why I have to keep that message in my show. Because I don't want to get to a point where we are so complacent that we stop forgetting that that number is still there. One million people a year are still contracting it. And I think it also has to do with the fact that people don't think, oh, it's not going to happen to me. And the whole, like you said, the down low, I'm living on the down low. You know, I'm not gay because I'm married to a woman. And like in 2017, it was 28% Hispanics, 39% blacks, and 27% white people. So in 2017, the people that had eight new, eight, new cases of HIV were white. Mm-hmm. Which I find to be fascinating because you, like you said, it was a white gay man's disease. It was really, you know, if if you ask the far right people back in the day, it was it was from God to eliminate them of the homosexuals. Right. You know. And thank you, you Tammy Faye. <gasps> isn't she gone now? She is gone, but that makeup stain will last forever. Well, and and apparently Jim Baker was just in the news because he's trying to sell a a vaccine for coronavirus. I don't know who Did these you, people are. They're crazy. Oh my god! It's it's uh, I think colloidal silver. I saw the news clip of it. He's like holding up a bottle. He's like, so you're telling me this silver will get rid of the virus? It's amazing. You know, you th- you should buy jokes from him because because. Yeah. <laughs> He's writing. He's he's literally writing some funny shit. So I think I miss this though. Let's rewind for a few moments. You go with your friend because she's getting a test. You say, "Hey, let me get one to be supportive." Boom, you're HIV positive. How do you know how you got it? Was it from someone? Was it from drug use? It was not from drug use. It was definitely from someone. And to tell you whom, I don't know. So you don't don't have any idea who you got it from? No, I think that, so most people, let me rephrase. uh, Some people will experience kind of a a flu-like kind of thing that happens when you're seroconverting, when the virus is actually taking over and you're switching from HIV negative to HIV positive, you can have mild flu symptoms, you can have severe flu symptoms, they're short-lived and then they go away. I remember this happening uh, right before I left Hawaii. So I was in the military, I'm living in Hawaii, wonderful life, and I moved back home and right before uh, I left, I had sex with this guy and I remember getting this odd, weird flu-like thing that came out of nowhere. Um, and at the time I didn't piece it together because the information that I had on HIV was just don't get it and here are some condoms. I didn't know, you know, about zero conversion or what would happen. So I really didn't even correct. And I didn't really piece it together until probably the year and a half later when I was tested. So even though I used 1993 as my diagnosis date, I think that I was probably infected probably more like a year and a half before. Don't know the guy enough to to even remember what he looked like at this point. I just remember it happening. It was nineteen. It was Hawaii. Right, I was nineteen Hawaii, living life. You're in the military. Yes. You find out. Is it like find? I imagine because you know my biggest fear in life. You know, I lived in Fort Lauderdale in 1994. Four to 1996. I was a a virgin. And I truly believe that if I would have been active, I was like, what, 24? If I would have been sexually active, I would probably have HIV now. 
I mean, it was Fort Lauderdale in the 90s. I mean, yeah. you could bump into somebody and you practically got it. <laughs> yes, that's how I got it. That's yeah. how you got it. Yay, see, I figured it out. You don't need no doubt. Well, I, I bumped into their dick with my ass, oh, but anyway. Oh, Lord, this is show is rated R, not NC-17. <laughs> uh, I felt like Moira from Shit's Creek when I said that. But, yes. you know, my fear was... Like, I, I cannot get this. I cannot get this. So I just did not have sex. That's how that's how <clears> controlled <throat> it was over me. So I imagine, yeah. though, so you get it. You find out. You have it. Do you? Is it like going through the stages of grief? Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. I found out. Um, so back then, there was not rapid testing. This was a blood draw. And I go to the doctor, and he... Um, the first thing they were like, Oh, your blood coagulated in the tube and we need to do this test again. They didn't tell me that it had come back positive and they wanted to reconfirm the blood had coagulated. Oh. So I remember, yeah, right now we don't do that. Now we tell you right off the bat. And I remember thinking that was odd and worrying then, but of course I'm like, no, no, it'll be fine. Two weeks later I go back and this is at the school infirmary. And they tell me that I'm positive and they don't really know what to do with me because they don't handle HIV cases. So they're going to refer me to a social worker there. And so I looked at my friends when I walked out. I think I cried a little tear. They cried a little tear. And then I was like, okay, this stays between us and, and let's go to class. And we went immediately. We went to chorus rehearsal. God, I'm so gay. Um, Oh my we God, did you just to, say you found out you had HIV and then you just went right into chorus? That is the case. Uh -huh. Yeah. I'm sorry, anybody who's offended, but I found that to be very funny. Go ahead. It is very funny. I think it's hilarious. That's um, yeah. And so, like, it didn't, you know, it didn't really hit me. It was all the stages of grief. There was denial, then there was anger. Um, you know, I, I probably. I probably have a short list of people that I wish I could go back and just apologize to. Not that we're enemies now, but just, you know, I didn't handle my emotions the correct way, even with friendships and the things that I would say or do at that time, just because I was in so much uh, fear, you know, like, oh, oh my sure. God, how much, how much time do I really have? And things unfolded really uh in an unfortunate series. So, uh, that group that I said, let's keep this between us that night, we had a dinner planned, like at the local restaurant with a group of maybe 10 friends. By the time we made it there, everyone at the table knew. And I had told no one. Oh, um, that's so disappointing, but makes sense yeah. because that's how people are. Yeah. Well, it gets and family can do it too. So I was in, one of, you know, now we have the cocktail drugs. We have the protease inhibitors were the first really good pills. And I was on a clinical study for one of those in New Orleans. So I would drive to New Orleans for my study medications, everything, and come back once a month. And my uncle happened to work at the hospital that was doing the study and ran into me one day outside the hospital and said, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, this is where I come to the doctor. And I let it go at that. Well, he went and looked up my chart, told my grandmother, who told my aunt, who told my mother, who told my... So I never really got a chance to tell anyone on my own terms, which 
is kind of one of those things when you asked in the beginning about the marriage, like, would I have told anybody? It really makes me wonder if I would have. So looking back, I'm very glad it happened. But at the time, I was very, very angry. This was my information and, and mine to share. And it was getting out there quicker than I wanted it to, which yep. is kind of what led me to be, you know, an activist about it and just go ahead and start speaking out like you. I don't ever want to filter anything I say. So I'd rather you just hear it from me than for you to run around and, and you know, like, oh, my God, is this true? Is this true? Yeah, I'm going to tell you it's true. Are you saying you're glad it happened that everyone found out because you don't think you would have been able to tell that? Correct. Okay. Yeah, yep. I, I understand that. Yep. I understand that. Um, how long does it take for you to accept it? Mm. Wow. So I would say college, maybe 1997 is when I started doing real advocacy work. So then I joined the board of directors for the National Association of People with AIDS, started doing like actual uh, lobbying of Congress and things like that for, for funding and money. So sometime in college, I would say probably a year and a half after is when I started doing this, the speaking to that class group. That's, that's the time I decided just to go public. And when I say public, not like this podcast heard by millions around the world. Oh, uh, I love that you said millions <laughs> in cat years, but go ahead. Yes. Um, but that's, no, that's when I actually um, started speaking out to the class. And to me, that was a big deal because now it's no longer friends. Now I'm talking to a class of 50 to 100 people who I don't know. And it involved being, you know, definitely more vulnerable and having my shit together, like being able to admit those things because I was honest with them. We did a question and answer at the end and no question was off limits. So I got the, do you know who gave it to you? What did you, you know, did you feel it? You know, what were the symptoms? Those kinds of things. So probably 1994, a year and a half later. Because now you're talking to people about it. And so you have power over it, which makes you feel like you're in charge. You know, it's a lot different than when the nurse says you're going to die from this. And then four years later, you're up there talking to younger people about it and about. Your Absolutely. Experience. Yeah. Well, and, and interestingly enough, if you talk to anybody who um, is a long term survivor, they will tell you back then we were also in that mind frame of, yes, this is our power over it. So let's talk about it. But we were all still so. Uh, resolve that it probably would be what would kill us. So I spent that credit up. <laughs> and, yeah. like, you know, like, yeah, like four or five years later, I wake up, I'm like, fuck, I'm still alive and I have debt now, um, which is amazing uh, to be able to appreciate that now. But back then, we just, we lived like every single day was going to be our last. And I, I kind of wish sometimes like everybody could do that just for one day. Just live like it's your fucking last day and celebrate yourself. Well, you definitely have lived a different life, even though we're basically the same age. We've lived such a different life because you've been living with this information that this could be my last week. Mm -hmm. And I've and been living like, hey, I have my whole life. And I think that's so important for people to understand. Like you just said, if people just had one day to say you're going to die tomorrow, you could die tomorrow. How yeah, you said it earlier, you could get hit. Yeah, you said earlier, you could get hit by a bus. And I was in that mind frame for so long. I used that exact exp 
depression so many times with my friends or, or, you know, doctors after that. Um, you know, I just wanted to live a full life. Um, and now on the other side of everything that I'm realizing at 48 again, I just want to live a full life. And that's where the comedy set comes from. And that's wrapping or not wrapping it up, bringing it back to your earlier point. I really just wanted to be a part of my show. Does it always have to be in there? No, I'm sure it'll come and go at times, but just like my choice 25 years ago, I'm going to put the information out there early and uh, the rest is, is for everyone to come along for the ride or, or not. I love that. I, what, you know what? People are listening to this going, I thought we were going to talk about jokes. We're talking about HIV. But this is so important for people to hear. And I, I just have one final question um, yeah. regarding this. Um, are you surprised you've lived this long? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I'm happy to have lived this long, of course. Um, absolutely. 100% surprised. Well, you're probably going to live a long, you're going to probably live a long time because evil never dies. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, especially if you knew the shit I did in college to myself. God. Oh my God. How I am still alive. I don't know. It's well, amazing. Tyson, thank you so much for coming on this podcast, for being so open, so honest. You know, talking about living with HIV, you know, some people wouldn't be so open, but you talk about it in your stand-up. You're educating people, and that's why I wanted you on the show. I knew you'd be a fantastic guest, so thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Joe, and thank you. Honestly, I have to tell you before you wrap, you were actually an inspiration for me for attempting stand-up oh. anyway. When I saw that you were trying it, I was like, if that bitch can do it, I can get up there. <laughs> if that's what gets you to live your dream thinking, if that bitch can do it, I can do it. I am all for this. That's a lot different than when I tell somebody I wrote a book and they say, oh, I should write a book. I, if you wrote a book, I can write a book. Bitch, sit down. But I will definitely take that. All right, before we go, we're going to play my favorite game in the world because I created it. It's called Let's yeah. Get Grounded. Yeah. Now, I've changed it up a little bit because I wanted to add more airline theme stuff. So I want you to pick the airline you like the most, you've had the best experience. Maybe you hate this airline. Pick an airline that I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to ask you the question, and then you're going to answer it. All right. American Airlines, JetBlue, Delta, Spirit, Frontier, or United Airlines? Oh, let's go with Delta. Okay. If you were offered a free vacation anywhere in the world, anywhere, if I came to you and said, here's a blank check, you can go on a vacation anywhere in the world, where is the one destination you would never want to visit? Oh, see the little spin sweet. in there. You see the little spin. Yeah, I like what you did there. I like what you did action. there. Where you would know, you never um, want to go? Yeah. <laughs> West. Oh, I was going to say West Palm Beach because they've all seen my dick on Snapchat. But um, <laughs> I mean, if that's your answer, but it's only ten people. Yeah, I know. Uh, I would never want. To go to oh my god this is so hard is there a time limit well Let's i mean at some see. point people are going to stop listening that is true let's just say budapest budapest oh wow yes okay yeah, is there a reason yeah because i don't know a fucking thing about it and it's a, a hard name to say I, I can't locate it on a map either 
<laughs> Budapest. Oh my God. Don't be offended, everyone from Budapest. Thank you so much, I Tyson. I love this <laughs> conversation. You. <laughs> you are fantastic. And um, I will talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. Right, take care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also, check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, (laughs) check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.